Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Yesterday we gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Yeshua on the day of first fruits. So we had a wonderful time and we spoke about Yeshua as the first fruits of the resurrection. And today uh, we're going to have a bit of carryover from that teaching. Some of the items we spoke about will, will be repeated today uh, in order to go a little bit deeper into some of the imagery of the first fruits. And this morning before we gathered and, and began to, to sing, I felt like a, a key part of today's message is that God is a promise keeper. And within the first fruits of the resurrection, okay, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is I, I'd originally thought, okay, well, it's gonna, if we had a title for the message, it would be the first fruit of the resurrection. And then I started thinking, well, no, it's actually promise keeper. And I was like, well, actually, they're really one and the same because God bringing forth Yeshua as the first fruit of the resurrection is him keeping his promise. And so they really go hand in hand. God's the promise keeper bringing about the first fruit of the resurrection. And today, even though we celebrated the resurrection yesterday, today's a good day to celebrate the resurrection too. Because <laughs> each day we can be thankful to what, for what God has done for us. Even with the aspect of Yeshua being the first fruit of the resurrection, he has gone forward before us so that he might sanctify the whole, so that he might set apart the entire people unto God, him the first and us to follow. And this week, because it is one of the intermediate days of Passover, we aren't going through the Torah portion as we normally would. Next week, we'll pick back up. But this week, the gospel portion was from Exodus when God was revealing himself to Moses, revealing the 13 attributes unto him, showing that he is kind and compassionate, showing mercy. And then the Haftarah is from Ezekiel 37 with the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. And I want to start there because this is a picture of, it is a picture of resurrection and it is a picture of God giving life to those who were dead such that he can fulfill his promises. So Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, 
Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So as I was reading that just now, I'm thinking about there were multiple stages in this restoration. He said that he's going to bring life back into them. And the first prophecy to them brought forth the beginning stages. The bones coming together and the skin coming back upon them, but there was no breath in them. And so then the second command came to bring the completion of the Ruach coming into them. And it's very much like Yeshua's healing of the blind man. When I believe, I may be getting this a little bit wrong, okay, so I believe it's the time when he spit on the ground, he took the mud and he put it on the eyes, and he said, well, I see, you know, people walking around as trees, and so then he repeated it, and then his vision came through clearly. It's at the time when we begin to see the fulfillment come through, but it's incomplete that we could lose heart, and we could give up, and we could say, you know, I, I guess it just wasn't meant to be, or maybe this is all there is. Not so, because the Lord said, I will cause breath to come in you. And Yeshua then, too, with this person, he was bringing healing so that he might see, not just a little bit in full. And so God is, even in the times when it looks like hope is lost and that we are indeed cut off, the Lord says, no, I will open graves and I will bring forth life where there had been death. And that's what we see happening with Yeshua. At the time of Passover, he had been walking with his, his disciples for three years, teaching them the way. And they expected that he was the Messiah who was come to redeem Israel. And then when he was crucified, it seemed as though all was lost. I don't know how they didn't, I mean, how they wouldn't despair fully with, here I've given my life to this one who I thought was the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, and now he's dead and he's in the grave. And where am I? Where is God? I thought God was here. I thought he was doing something. But there was yet to come the resurrection and the renewed hope and the life that not only would come to the Messiah, but that would then be imparted to those who believe and follow after him. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And if we go and turn and look to the day of the resurrection, in Luke 24, verse 1, the scripture says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Yeshua. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You know, as I'm thinking about this aspect, Yeshua was preparing his disciples for what was to come. And even though they could hear his words, they didn't really know how to frame it up in a context that could help them in that moment, right? They needed to have a reminder come to them. And this morning as I was getting ready, April 8th came, you know, showed up because that's what today is. Okay, so it's on my paper, April 8th. And April 8th is a day of remembrance for my family. And there's two primary days of remembrance, August 12th and April 8th, as remembrances of great things that the Lord has done for us. And then even that God has moved multiple times on that very day in uh, bringing about what really ultimately is going to be a fulfillment of his promise. We don't have the fullness of that promise yet, but every day when these dates come around, I remember what happened on those days, and I remember the promise. And so I hadn't thought about it until this morning, but yes, he's the promise keeper, and he gives us these reminders. He places them forth. Now the question is, too, this April 8th, today would not be a day of remembrance for me with regard to this, this promise if I didn't make note of it. Right? It's important for us to make notes of the times when God moves such that we can be thankful, not for him just in that day, but in days to come. We can remember back and we can say, yes, God, you're faithful. I remember your promise. And we can be encouraged in our spirits. Even when the road seems long, even when it doesn't look like it's coming about, we can still be confident that he will bring about his promises. And so to, here too, the angels are giving a remembrance that remember what he said to you that on the third day he would arise. This is the third day he has risen. And then continuing on in John 20, verse 11. So we were in Luke, we're now over in John. Uh, continuing kind of sequentially though. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white standing where the body of Yeshua had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Yeshua standing, but she did not know that it was Yeshua. Yeshua said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Yeshua said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Yeshua came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, in the corresponding passage back from Luke, I'm going to jump over there. Oh, it's here. Okay, Luke 24, 36 through 40. Within this part, in verse 39, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. 
touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So two things happened here. Well, more than two things happened here. Two things I'm going to highlight happened here. How about that? So one is Yeshua is outside the garden tomb, and Mary sees him, and he says, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Later on in the same day, on, on that same day, he shows up to the disciples, and he says, Look, it's me. Touch me. Feel me. So we have a question that arises of why is it that that morning he told Mary not to touch him and then in that evening he said, touch me. And I think one of the keys was he said, I have not ascended to the Father, which is what we read in John uh, chapter 20. Now where, where this all comes into play is a connection to the first fruits offering that's made in the temple. So if we were to look back at Leviticus 23, verse 9, this is an offering made during the festival of unleavened bread where the first fruits of the barley harvest are waved in the temple. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma. And the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor grain parched or fresh until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So within this, when the children of Israel were going to come into the land, they could not eat of the grain of the land until they had brought the first fruit offering to the Lord. And so, and the same, so in this offering of the bar, first fruit of the barley, it then opened up the door for the barley harvest of that current year to be consumed by the people. Right. But the first part had to be sanctified first for the rest to then be set apart for consumption. Now, this, the way in which the barley was waved in the temple, I believe, gives us a picture of the death and the resurrection of Yeshua. So the way it would work is on the eve of Passover, the Sanhedrin would dispatch three agents to go into a barley field near Jerusalem, and they would bind up sheaves of barley that were still in the ground. So they'd bind up these three groups of barley, and it would remain bound until after sundown on the first day of the festival. And they would go out and harvest them as the 16th day of Nisan was beginning. So they would go out on the evening of the 14th before sunset, and they would bind up the sheaves. So on the same afternoon that the Passover was being offered, they would bind up the sheaves in the ground. Then they would rest for the first day of the Passover sacrifice, or the, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then as the Feast of Unleavened Bread was concluding, and the 16th of Nisan was beginning, they would go out in the evening, and they would harvest the, the stalks that they had bound. So they would cut them free from the ground, and they would take them and prepare them overnight. And then the next day, they would be offered in the temple 
sometime between nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. Nine in the morning and three in the afternoon representing the first and second Tamid offerings, which are really the bookends of the offerings that are made on each day. So at some point during that time, the priest would take the barley into the holy place where the menorah showbread and the altar of incense are and would wave it before the Lord. And so one of the things that would happen when the priest made that waving before the Lord is he would pray for God to send the rains that were needed so that the harvest would be good. So again, it's setting apart the first such that the whole may be sanctified and then also on the merit of bringing this offering, then asking God for his favor to pour out the rains that were needed for the fullness of the harvest. So when we look at this story, we can see the death and resurrection of Yeshua played out in it, in that Yeshua was bound on the 14th of Nisan. And he died. He was there on the cross bound. He died and was placed in the grave. So just as the stalks had been bound and were still in the earth, now Yeshua was, had been bound, died, and was placed in the bonds of death in the earth. And then the day passes. And after the day of rest, the stalks were cut free from the earth, and then they were raised up and presented before the Lord. And that is it. being set free from the earth. Being cut from the earth is a picture of the resurrection of Yeshua being set free from the grave, coming out of the ground, and now being ready to be presented before God as that first fruit of the resurrection, the first fruit of the harvest that is to come. So now if he's standing there, he's, been, he's died, he's been in the grave, he's been resurrected, and now he says to Mary, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. And then in the evening, he says, look, people, you can touch me. And he said even to Mary, go and tell them that I'm ascending to the Father. So a possible theory, though one I cannot prove, but I see beautiful imagery in, is the idea that Yeshua was presented in the heavenly temple as the first fruit offering of the resurrection. Just as his blood is that which cleanses the holy temple in heaven, the tabernacle that is made without human hands, and only his blood is fit to do it, so too he is the only one fit to be the grain offering in the heavenly tabernacle. And so now, having fulfilled that purpose, having gone before as a sanctification for the whole, and asking God to send forth the rains for the harvest, to send workers into the harvest so that it can be made full and brought forth, then he comes to give testimony of the resurrection and the life and that God is the one who is faithful to bring forth his promises. And he walked the earth for 40 days making that declaration known until his ascension to the Father where he sits at the right hand waiting for the time when he will be sent to bring in the fullness of the harvest. Amen. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Just as we've talked about in the past few weeks as we've gone through the book of Leviticus, within the offerings presented before the Lord, all these offerings, right? We have a picture of God desiring close, intimate relationship with his people, providing his people a way to draw near to him. And then how Yeshua, we can find Yeshua in all of the offerings. And we see him in this offering and in this waving of the first fruits before the Lord. Paul speaks about it as well in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but in fact, 
Yeshua, or Messiah has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Messiah shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Messiah the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Messiah. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Amen. So Yeshua as the first fruits. And there's a, there's a great depth within that illustration. And of course, we have our picture of the resurrection. And as I was considering more about this first fruits offering, so you have the barley harvest that's waved, the bar barley that's waved in the temple at Passover. You have the wheat that's waved in the temple at Shavuot. And then there's also a first fruits offering that all the men of Israel are to bring, all the people who have land and produce are to bring and present their first fruits before the Lord. And the first fruits are called the Bikurim. Okay, Bikurim. And in Deuteronomy 26, we see a picture, or not a picture, we, we find the command that's given for the children of Israel to bring their first fruits, their bikurim, before the Lord. Deuteronomy 26.1 says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God, that, or to the Lord your God, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our, fa our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my father, and he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground, which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you shall rejoice in all the good that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. Now, as we're reading this passage from Deuteronomy 26, it probably sounds pretty familiar to you because we just read it the other night at the Passover Seder, right? We just read these very verses at the Seder and particularly starting with, you know, wandering Aramean was my father and he went down to Egypt. So, so that's, of course, from the Haggadah. And it's an interesting place to start when we're going through and, and discussing, well, what, what is the, the Exodus from Egypt all about? And we start out talking about a wandering Aramean 
actually, I'm sorry. This is, this is part of what we read. Before this, there is a, a part that's from the book of Joshua and is giving accounts of the time of Abraham and his descendants. And then it goes into giving thanks for how, or speaks about the covenant between the parts. And then we give thanks to God that he's always defended his people throughout all generations. Then we go into this telling. So the connection here is we're, we're tying back to the Passover Seder, remembering the Exodus, but then even looking at some of the other readings that happen within the Haggadah, where the very first intro into telling the story is talking about the covenant between the parts. And during the covenant between the parts, covenant between the parts being the time when God promised the land to Abraham out of Genesis 15, then we begin to give thanks to God for his deliverance and his faithfulness. And then we go through and read this whole story of deliverance. But this part here is a declaration that God has been faithful to keep his promises. Okay? Um, I do want, I want to come back to this, but before we, before we do, I want to read this covenant between the parts. In Genesis 15, 13 to 14, during the covenant between the parts, the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. So God was giving, he was telling Abraham of what was to come, that the people of Israel would be enslaved. Not that God was going to cause the enslavement, but that he was going to be the solution for the enslavement. That he was going to be the one who would be faithful to bring them out even after they had gone into slavery. So it was really a prophetic statement of what would happen as opposed to a, I'm going to cause you to go into exile for 400 years. We could go further into that, but at a high level, it's a, it's a statement of what would come because God knew what would happen with Abraham's sons and the deceptions that would take place, including the sale of Joseph and the exile to, to Egypt. But even in the midst of that, God would not abandon them, that he would bring them out of their slavery so that they could have new life and relationship with him, which is what takes place in the Exodus. The redemption of a people from a tyrant so that they could be free to live unto the one true king. So, so what we have is, we have a picture here within the telling of the Exodus where the farmer comes and he is declaring before the Lord what has taken place. And let me jump back here to Deuteronomy 26. In verse 3, when the scripture says, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers, it's actually a past tense verb where he says, I have declared today to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us which is an interesting way to phrase this because if we say it in the present tense, it makes sense. I declare today that God has brought me here. You wouldn't start out with, I have declared today that the Lord has brought me here unless you've already made a declaration that you're now referring to. So what is the farmer really supposed to be talking about when he says, I have declared today? 
his declaration is that the very fact that I am standing here has already declared that God is faithful. The fact that I am holding the basket of first fruits of the land that he promised to Abraham has already declared that he is faithful. And now I'm going to repeat a thanksgiving of remembering his faithfulness as a further declaration to who? To me. A reminder to me that God is faithful and he has done what he has said. And here I am, I'm giving the first fruit of the harvest. This is, this is the first of it, you know, I mean, if I'm being pragmatic, maybe I should eat what I have and whatever's left over, I'll give to the Lord. But no, the declaration is, I believe that God is going to send the fullness of the harvest. So I'm going to present to him the best and the first of the harvest and trust him to bring about the rest. Because the very fact that I stand here today says that he is able to bring life from the dead. He is able to bring forth the provision of the promises all the way that he gave back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And that those promises do not fail. Even when the bones in the valley are very dry and, they, and all of Israel says our hope is lost, God says, no, it isn't, because I can open the grave and I can bring back life where there was death. And I will breathe life into you and I will renew your spirit. And that is the life that we have. That's what we celebrate here at Passover. We're celebrating the freedom that God has given us to live fully and wholly unto him, not constrained by sin and death, not constrained by rulers of the world, but free to live unto the only just king. Amen. Amen. And so we look at Yeshua as the first fruits of the resurrection and we give thanks with gratitude for what he's done. He is our first fruit. And um, another thing that I, I find interesting with this is, Rachel's not here to see the graphic. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, wherever she is, she's saying amen. Okay. But okay, up, up here on the screen, there are two Hebrew words. The top one is bikurim, which is first fruits. The bottom word is bachor, which is firstborn. Now, just to help you see this, well, maybe, maybe to help you see it. There we go. You see the beginning of bikurim and bachor are the same Hebrew letters. The different, well, of course, you have different vowel pointings to bring about a different pronunciation and therefore a different meaning. And then the top has im on it, which makes it plural. Okay, so you'd have bikur or, and bachor, but then the plural is bikurim. There's a connection between the firstborn and the first fruits, right? And the, the bikurim is the, the best of the first fruits. Yeshua is the best of the first fruits, and he is the firstborn of all creation. And that's, that's another thing that, that Paul talks about in Colossians 1, 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the behor of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, the assembly, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before the Lord. Right? That's the first fruit of the resurrection. He's gone forward before to sanctify the whole, to bring a change in who we are, in our nature, in our character, so that we can become the righteousness of God through Yeshua, our Messiah. So God is a promise keeper. He's faithful to keep his promises. Just as the farmer sees the produce coming forth, we see Yeshua as the one who is that first fruit basket offering before the Lord. And though we may have to wait for his coming, we know that his coming is sure and steadfast. In Hebrews 1, in Hebrews 1, I mean, excuse me, not Hebrews 1, how about Hebrews 11, 1? We'll go with that. Um, the scriptures say, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And one of the things that, that I like to look at with regard to this verse is that an alternate translation is that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The things not seen are the fullness of the promise. Okay? But Yeshua stands as the substance and the evidence of the promise because God had made a promise that he was going to bring restoration to the children of Israel and that he was going to bring them into life everlasting. The question was how? It was going to be through his son. And so when Yeshua came and was raised from the dead as a sign that he was God's chosen Messiah, faith became more than just something hoped for. Faith was taken up to substance and evidence because Yeshua stood as the substance and the evidence. That transforms our faith because we see God moving. It's, imagine it's like the bones were dead in the valley, and now they've come together and they have flesh on them. That, those bones coming together and having flesh come upon them would stand as substance and evidence that God was going to bring about the thing that was hoped for, which was the restored life. And then there's this waiting. Okay, where's the Spirit? Where's the Spirit? And the Lord says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and I will send the latter rains to bring forth the fullness of the harvest. This is from Joel 2. And Yeshua returns to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit as the down payment, assuring the salvation to come. Right? Which, of course, we can look forward to as we count the Omer leading up to Shavuot. Right? We started counting the Omer on Thursday night, so today is day two of the counting of the Omer. Tonight will be day three. But each day we're counting up in expectation and, and maturity growing towards the day when we will celebrate the giving of the Torah and the giving of the Spirit, which is transformative to a redeemed life. It's, it's that which is given to the redeemed such that they can walk in relationship with God. 
So as we go forward, I wanted to read here from Malachi 4, verses 2 through 6. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And here, even this with talking about the coming of Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord, that's what we celebrate at Passover too, right? We set a cup for Elijah in anticipation that God is going to send the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord and that he will pour it out on his children so that we can prepare the way of the Lord. Right? That's, that's our great high calling is to walk with him, to prepare the way. And one of the promises that was given in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 33, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my Torah within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the promise that you can take to the bank. God is in the process of redeeming and renewing his people. And he will establish in full this promise that was given in Jeremiah. It was initiated through the blood of Yeshua there on the cross. And it will come in fullness at his return when the Torah will go forth from Zion to all the world. And every knee will bow before Yeshua. Amen. So as you walk on this path that may be wandering, that may have its ups and downs, you may find yourself in a valley. Just remember, God causes death to pass away and for life to come. He can bring forth life out of death, just as he did Yeshua, and he can restore whatever it is you're walking through because he is the promise keeper. So make your remembrances and celebrate them with thanksgiving unto the Lord as your first fruit basket. You know, take that remembrance before him and say, Lord, I give you thanks because you have given me your word, you've given me your promise, and I trust you. Amen. Does anybody have anything that you want to share? All right, let's pray. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this time of Passover. We can celebrate the renewed life that we have through the work of Yeshua. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to keep your promises and fulfill them. Lord, we trust you. We bless you. Help us as we walk along this path, Lord, to be thankful, to have an attitude of gratitude, not just in the times of your appointed times, but in each and every day, Lord, to see the good that you are working out on our behalf. We thank you for your kindness that you have given to us and our children. We bless you and give you glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.